This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Emily Lader of Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. In this episode, we discuss Jefferson's Bourbon. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Emily and let her know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. She's Emily Later. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here. And Lilith Celine Dion is back because we're sitting down with Emily and she's with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. We've met with Emily before. She was on the podcast back in August and she's got some new great things for us to try and share that are coming out of Southern Glazers. And uh, Emily, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rich. It's so good to see you. So good to see you too. Welcome back. Now, since August, in August, we were through the summer of COVID. Yes. And we kind of talked about how that impacted even your business and the industry mm-hmm. at large. How have things changed or have they not changed? So to be totally honest with you, not much has changed. Okay. Um, we are a little bit in a holding pattern with the sort of consistency of uncertainty. Okay. We... Don't really know when things are going to fully open again. Um, right now in Philadelphia, they're doing 25% capacity indoors, and that started last week. In the surrounding counties, it's 50%, and that started a couple weeks before that. There's very different rules and regulations depending on geography. So it's hard for people on the distributor uh, brand side to plan, and it is also difficult for people on the bar and restaurant side to plan. However, going into 2021, you know, 2020 wasn't exactly the easiest year, so going into 2021, I really... It's full of hope and expectation, right? I really put my mindset into positivity and good energy, so... We can definitely take a look at all of the negative things that are happening, but there are great things that are happening. And one of the great things that are happening is that just like in August, people are definitely still drinking and they are going to their local liquor stores and their fine wine and good spirits stores and they are buying lots and lots of spirits. We've seen an incredible increase in tequila sales. We've seen an amazing increase in... Uh, more luxury items and some of your higher priced SKUs um, because people are sitting at home and instead of going to a bar, maybe seeing 
a whiskey that they would be purchasing for $50 for a two ounce pour, they're going to go to the liquor store, they're going to buy the bottle for 90 and then they're going to be able to taste that 15, 16 times. So people are definitely trying to focus on these more upscale products. Um, they're also looking for just ways to be able to create that cocktail experience at home. And that's a really great segue into one of the first items that we're going to do. Okay, but before you let that out of the that, that cat, because we're in cat house right now, cat house, <laughs> Lilith Celine Dion, who's our, who's our official, I, I guess, unofficial yes, She's cat official, mascot. She's unofficial yeah, cat A mascot. fermented adventure of the podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we can have a photo shoot later. You should, bring, you should get her a little t-shirt. Right. Like Maker's Mark has those little t-shirts. We'll oh, get, the little sweaters. Yeah, the, the little bottom. sweaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get, get her one for a little, fermented adventure. She does need clothes. It's a little cold out, Ooh. and I feel like I need to get her more clothes. Her sweaters got a little small because she's grown a little bit since okay. we see She's you, put on so. that COVID-15 like everybody else. Not me. Okay. Not me either. Not so. me. I've. That's one of the things keeping me sane is getting into the gym and being a little bit healthier and slowing down a little bit. You know, sometimes in this industry, it's hard to have a healthy right. lifestyle. You know, you're out all the time, late nights, drinking, eating out. So I've definitely used this opportunity to focus on my wellness a little bit and I go to a private gym and I see my personal trainer twice a week and I'm kind of in really good shape and, you know, I'm feeling good. Good. Yeah. Good. And that's, Absolutely. you know, and, and you take that into 2021, but you mentioned yeah. something yes. about tequila sales being up. Mm-hmm. That that kind of surprises me, I, or maybe it shouldn't, but what is it specifically about tequila? I mean, I, I, you know, you think in rum, you think in bourbon, you think in sure. whiskeys, rye. I mean, what's coming out of, um, what's coming out of Kentucky, Tennessee, mm-hmm. they're, they're embracing more rye. That yep, I'm seeing, Indiana's putting out some more mm-hmm. rye. So, the segment of tequila, though, that that's yeah. kind of become more accelerated. Yes, definitely. I think that it kind of started probably a couple of years ago in the bottle service club culture with what people are drinking when they're getting bottle service at clubs, and they started drinking uh, 1942 uh, Don Julio and uh, Casa Azul, um, which are both not only expensive tequilas, but they're excellent tequilas. So it, it is kind of interesting to see uh, individuals in a club setting sipping on or in many cases mixing, unfortunately, these beautiful tequilas. Um, but there seems to be this kind of like pop culture phenomenon around these higher end tequilas. And then when people started hanging out at home and they weren't in their bar and club settings, um, they started to bring those those higher-end tequilas into the house. And then I think from there they started exploring different kinds. Um, I also think that people are getting more interested in anything that has a color. I think, you know, we can kind of... This is a big part of the Jefferson story, too. You know, in the 90s, early 2000s, clear was king, light beer, uh, vodka, um, and your martinis. You know, those were what people were drinking. And I think... In the last 10, 15 years, people are starting to explore things more with color. Just, you know, anything that's seen uh, barrel contact. Um, that's yeah, to you, become more you popular. Barrel-aged gins, barrel-aged rums, yeah, yeah. barrel-aged vodkas in some yeah, cases yeah, now. But, you're, but you're, you know, your Repos and your Anejo tequilas are becoming really popular. Um, so we've sort of been seeing this this slow uptick um, in tequila and then, you know, people like things that they can't have. So when you see a tequila shortage, people are like, 
oh, well, people are buying tequila. Why aren't I buying tequila? Clearly, like, I'm missing something, so let me get on the train. And so I think it's a combination of all those different things that we've been sort of seeing over the past, you know, five, six years that it's really kind of culminating here. Now, you mentioned also that we're in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. 25%. This just happened, I think, 15th or 16th of January. Yeah. 25% occupancy on yes. inside. Uh-huh. You know, where we were before, as far as the bartender server industry, mm-hmm. now we're, at this point, five months along. Still, how is that impacting those in the service industry? Sure. So, it really depends on the establishment where you are working or the establishment where you're that you're running. So we can look at it from two different sides. So you have your higher end um, restaurant groups, your stars, your Scholzens, your Salamanovs of the world that are collective and they have more cash on hand. Typically restaurants and bars are not cash on hand businesses. So to outfit your bar or restaurant with a big, beautiful outside that's sort of inside but it's outside right with the tent or these plastic these plastic structures the huts um you know they have the cash on hand to be able to do that they're going gangbusters um i've heard from people that they are busy and that people are going out you're also thinking about the people that are going to these um to these places you know these are people who have you know, jobs that have been either not affected or positively affected uh, by the pandemic. You know, these are people that have, you know, an expendable income and they are going to these nicer places. People are going out less. So when they do want to go out, they're going for this experience, the full experience where just to stop in at your corner bar on a Tuesday night on your way home from work and to grab a drink, that's where things are hurting. So you have amazing corner bars that have never had any problem with uh, revenue flow, having some issues Um, that again, you know, if it's a privately owned single owned bar, you know, this isn't an establishment that has cash on hand. So they weren't able to build these outdoor structures as quickly um, than, you know, some of our other higher end places. So, and it's not just the structures because I'm, I'm, you know, the cost of propane, Propane is, to heat these structures is a huge cost to these oh absolutely these businesses a huge amount of overhead you know these big uh, heat lamps that don't totally work that are okay uh, you know it, there's just like this certain level of just sort of like unpleasantness <laughs> um, that kind of goes with all of these different hoops and obstacles that. The CDC has these bars and restaurants jumping through. Now, are the rules and regulations, some of them are a little bit ridiculous and, you know, I'm not totally clear on on some of them, but I, I will say as someone who is in this industry and as someone who really wants to go back to bars and restaurants because that is my bread and butter and that's what I love to do. I like meeting people. Well, we talked before about being social and and, and, and where alcohol and spirits and all that and cocktails fit into that. Yep. I would love things to go back to normal. Um, but our business is data driven and I am data driven and the data does not show that we are ready to be inside at a full capacity yet. 
Um, and it is what it is. Talk about the conversation if you're having them with the servers, with the bartenders, mm-hmm. with those that are still not back or at the level where they yeah. were. I mean, what, what, I mean, have, you know, have they found other jobs? Are they looking at other industries? Are they just still waiting it out, waiting for somebody to tap them on the shoulder and say, yo, you know, you know, we need to be put into the game. Right. You know, hey, yep, I'm you ready. star quarterback, you go back and play again. Yep. Because people are just waiting for your cocktails or people are just waiting for your phenomenal service. Right. What, what's happening with the industry right now? So it's a little bit all over the place. You'll hear different things from different people. So... You know, I have a friend right now who can't get unemployment because she was part-time at two different bars and they won't give her unemployment. So she's working part-time at a salon, but it's not... It's not the same level of income. No. And and no. then it's not like you can go to another salon mm-hmm. and like she was doing with the restaurant because the, the hours aren't the same, right? right? So, you know, you have somebody like that. You have someone who has pivoted to all catering, all event types of business um, because a lot of so you know in the city we have these smaller bars and restaurants right so to think about 25% capacity you're talking 10 you're people 10 maybe. 12 people yeah. because they rewrote the law where that capacity includes those who are working so one of my favorite neighborhood bars Varga Bar for example so Rich can have 16 people at 25% capacity in the bar at one time, which means that he's going to have two people in the kitchen, a manager, and a server. Okay, so that's four people already. So now you're really looking at 12 people. So you have three, four tops. And we've been places, too, where you go and they say, listen, we have an hour. Yeah. You know, we have an hour. Because we haven't – I mean, legitimately speaking – I have to respect the business because I want them to be able to turn. I want that server, that bartender, that I, I want them to be able to garner right. an income. And, and Abs- right, absolutely. So, so I have to respect so when somebody says worth- an hour. I gotta, I gotta do right. that because for it to be worth it for the server and for these people to be to be there and to be paid, you have to do a certain amount of turns of the table for it to be sort of worth it. But a lot of these people are like, it's not worth it. It's not worth me even op- even being open, even with the outside. You know, like, I don't want to sit outside in 30-degree weather. Um, no, it's not a pleasant experience. Not, unfortunately Especially not. when you're there Some... to relax and enjoy company or right. just enjoy the food, yeah. the spirits, the cocktails. That's not what people are – I mean, I think there's that balance where people want to go out and they want to be able to support small businesses. Sure. And they want to say, I want to see – like you mentioned Varga Bar. Mm-hmm. I want to see this business still open. And, yep. and we've we've lost countless of really, really stellar, spectacular restaurants and, and yeah. businesses in yep. Philadelphia already and mm-hmm. the surrounding counties and mm-hmm. throughout the nation. Mm-hmm. So – I think you look at it as saying, what can I do or what's my ability to keep what I have still in business and, mm-hmm. and, and help those people that yep. are struggling? I mean, I, I know there's been there have been some national initiatives there um, have been. to create funds yep. and, and support. And that's really good. Yep. But like everything comes down to it's all local. It's not enough. Any of these relief packages, it's, it's not enough. You know, the city of Philadelphia gave $30 million to – Small businesses, and when you really break that down to all the different small businesses and restaurants around the city, I mean, it's it's just a drop in the bucket. It's it's frankly, it's just not enough. There, are, there's no relief 
um, for these, for these small businesses. I think that a lot of places, we will not see the full effect of what happened during COVID for another couple of years, because I don't think that there's going to necessarily be a place that says we're closed. They're just never going to open again. Right. And that's, or look, things are always going, like, we've had pandemics, maybe not with the structure of everything that we have today. Yeah. But people will reopen businesses. New businesses will come on the scene. There's going to be, like you said, we may not see the full effect in two years because what's the climate going to be to want to open that business or right. be able to open that business or who's going to be around to to staff that business right. and well, in what capacity? Right. So the best way that I can rationalize it, and uh, this was actually a little anecdote from, from my dad, um, I love dad anecdotes. <laughs> they're s- sometimes they're really annoying, but this one actually does make a lot of sense. So um, we're thinking about COVID in relation to Hurricane Katrina and the restaurant renaissance that took place after the hurricane. Um, lots of places went out of business. People left town. People reinvented themselves. However... You know, you're in real estate, you know money is very cheap right now. Mm-hmm. There are people who have definitely made some money during the pandemic. I do hope from, you know, my mouth to God's ears that we will see a restaurant renaissance from this. Uh, maybe people who didn't have the time, maybe people who, you know, lost their jobs, maybe people that took a minute to slow down and to explore their passions and hopefully these people are going to put these passions into the into the restaurant economy. I'm sorry, the cat just fell. That was hilarious. That's okay. This is this is why <laughs> Lilith Lil, 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 Lil is here. That's okay. Well, you talk about the Renaissance, and yes, where restaurant restaurant Renaissance may happen in club renaissance and we we may see a shift yeah. in how people drink and go out but one of the re- renaissances or one of the you know things that come out have come out of this are ready to drink spirits ready Absolutely. to drink and and people are creating cocktails so here's what we have talk about renaissance you've brought jefferson to us today talk about jefferson's talk about all things jefferson yes absolutely so jefferson's is one of my favorite bourbons in our portfolio uh, bourbon that was coming into the market at a time when things were not looking great for bourbon. This is actually really interesting, and I think it really relates to kind of what we're talking about, where there's a little bit of a downturn in maybe like the spirits industry from the bar and restaurant side. Well, in 1997, bourbon really outside of Louisville and really outside of Kentucky was not a popular drink. As I kind of mentioned before, clear was king, and your vodkas, your martinis, your light beers. So people weren't really drinking bourbon. And at the time, in Louisville, there was about eight distilleries left who were still making bourbon. And the Zoller family, Trey and his father, Chet, who is a famed whiskey and bourbon historian started going around to these different distilleries and buying barrels of their excess whiskey. Yeah, this was a time when those Mm -hmm. barrels were so inexpensive. People were almost like giving them away. Giving them away. I mean, uh, Trey talked about how his father bought a barrel uh, from Bushmills 
which is an Irish whiskey, but he, uh, for, I think it was like the equivalent of like $13 a bottle, which is just outrageous. And it's something that you don't really see as often today. Um, because the demand for bourbon has become so high, but Trey and, and Chet really got in, um, at this great time, uh, to be able to not only start sourcing whiskey and sourcing these excellent barrels that were just kind of sitting there, uh, but it also gave them the opportunity to start distilling their own. So this gave them a runway. Exactly. Which a lot of distilleries do. And we kind of touched on it the last time I was here, but we were sort of talking about sourced whiskey versus making your own. And that there seems to be these two schools of thought where either you source and you pretend like you make it, or you make your own whiskey and everybody else is a poser. And I definitely used to be like a little bit of a sourced whiskey snob. However... Having more experience with Jefferson's, it really taught me to check that snobbery at the door because when you have someone... So first of all, you have distillers that are making Trey's recipe, which is a high rye. So this is a little bit of a proprietary knowledge, but it is from my understanding that we're looking at around 60% corn, 30% rye, which is a high rye for a bourbon... Um, which I love, and at 10% malt. So before we start getting into the whiskeys um, on their own, I did want to take a little sip of the Jefferson's Manhattan just to kind of go off of what we had been talking about before, uh, where people are trying to have these at-home cocktail experiences. So what they've done is they've, take, they've taken their, their product they've taken and they've made a cocktail whiskey. out of it, and all you have to do now is add some ice and pork. Exactly. Right? People drink and, it neat. And it this way, they, they you get that Jefferson's experience mm-hmm. that if you were to have gone to the distillery and maybe they would have made a cocktail there for you, yep. now you get their interpretation of the Manhattan. Exactly. One of the things you mentioned about source whiskey and, you know, make you know sourcing the, the, the juice and then or distilling your own. I love that sound. That's I awesome. I know. That was for you, Rich. Um, one of the things I can say is nobody, nobody berates the carpenter because he didn't grow his own wood. Does that <laughs> right. make sense? Abs- no, absolutely. You know, you the, didn't you didn't grow that you didn't you didn't you didn't take that sapling, grow the wood, and there are some amazing blenders right oh. now because you know, look, the doctor didn't create the heart, the doctor didn't create the the procedure in this case to take care of, you know, that sickness and illness. But they're but but they're so skilled in in this case we're talking about blending. And creating something magical out of something that somebody else put together. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, it, it, I think it's like a control freak thing. I think um, if you were really trying to, you know, have your hands on every part of the business. You know, when I worked with Manitani, we made our own juice, but we didn't grow our own wheat. We didn't grow our own malt. But then you have somebody like Dad's Hat who's starting to grow their own rye. So it just, you know, yeah, and there, not, there every, are... not every cook, you know, not every chef makes their own butter. You know, you can still find really beautiful products. And, you know, it honestly comes down to, you know, how are you bringing your product to market? And there's a lot of overhead that goes with 
distilling spirits, especially aged spirits. You know, bourbon has to be at least two years old and has to be at least 50% or 51% corn to be considered bourbon. But most people are, are of the understanding that you really don't want a bourbon in the market until it's around four years old. You know, one of the things I think Manitani screwed up was that I think they went to market too soon. But when you don't, when you are well, specifically not point, sourcing. Right. But to your point, these craft distilleries, because what happens is, and we see it all the time, that we walk in the door and they have their vodka. They're experimenting, maybe doing mm-hmm, some stuff mm-hmm, with gin. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working with some rum because those are the things they can distill in bottle and, and get to market. market. Right. But what they're doing is, they are starting to make a bourbon, but then they're putting in five or 10 gallon barrels or 15 gallon barrels right. and they're aging it for a year. Now, we've had some really good quote unquote bourbon right. that's only been aged a year, yeah. but I can tell you and I would agree. Yeah. Look, four years in a barrel is you, you put them in up in a 50 gallon. Like, right. You put them no, up again. Right. There is no comparison. You, you talked about, you know, you talked about working out. You talked about keeping up with your health. Look, you're not going to get the same results if you work out one day and say, oh, there it is. Right. I exactly. did it. Exactly. Yeah, you, you make it a to, lifestyle. Right. And that, and that lifestyle is what sits in that 50, 55 gallon barrel. 100%. The, I, the seasons, the, right. the movement, all that stuff. Yeah, because you're getting 60 I really, sixty to 80%, I think 80% of your flavor profile from those barrels. And that's one of the reasons I love Jefferson so much because they've really made their focus in experimentation about the barrel and about the cooperage and about the maturation, you know, I mentioned the last time, and I very much believe this, it is not about the age of the whiskey. It is about the maturity of the whiskey. Um, And so by that, I mean, depending on the season and depending on the climate and depending on where the barrel was in the rickhouse, every barrel ages a little bit differently. And that's kind of like the magic of the barrel. Oh, yeah, anywhere. Top, bottom, wherever it could be. it It can completely change the flavor profile. And Jefferson's really picked up on that. So... What they've, what they've started doing is while they do have – they started with four distilleries um, making their recipe. They're now at around 80 because the volume has grown so much. And in order to keep consistency, especially with you know something like your very small batch, um, you do need to pull from more places so that you can kind of keep that consistent flavor that you're known for. Now, you can also blend to have a unique, um, ever-changing – product and that's cool but most blending really comes from a committee of probably around six people and they are looking for consistency they're making sure that every bottle of jefferson's very small batch tastes as close to yeah that's gonna be their signature that's why when you go to the when you go to your store your wherever you're purchasing your spirits from you know you're going to get that flavor profile that knows that's what you're going for every time so you poured us the Manhattan. Yes, I poured you the Manhattan. So this is a... Which is a, the, the nose, I mean, just sitting here. And I mean... It's just wonderful just to oh, enjoy. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, you get that oak, but then you also I almost want somebody to make a candle with... With this, like, I know, like, right? if they haven't done that, make the candle. Okay, I'll tell them. I'll, I'll, I'll trade <laughs> <laughs> Um So this is a barrel-finished Manhattan. Now, a Manhattan mm. is a classic cocktail. Actually... And Manhattan started with off as gin, and if you're familiar, I didn't with, know that. Yes, if you're familiar with a Martinez, um, which is 
now what they call basically a a gin Manhattan. So, you know, you have your base spirit, whether it's, in this case, bourbon, um, but it was originally gin, and then you have your sweet vermouth. Um, And that's about it. And water. It's, there's not a lot to it, but historically, um, the United States is best known for their cocktails because when cocktails started to become popular, um, coming out of the, of the 19th century and then into the 20th century, you know, ice was a commodity. Ice was not something that was readily available. Not every bar had ice overseas, but in the United States, ice was readily available because what they used to do is they used to cut ice out of ponds in England or back in the day when ponds used to freeze. Well, (laughs) right. Yeah. Back in the day when ponds used to freeze. But, um, the, the climate there would never get cold enough for, for things to freeze. So until people started coming up with, with ways to freeze water artificially, they were cutting ice out of lakes. And so that's why America became the, hub for cocktail making so we always learn so much when we talk to you <laughs> we really do that's, that's why that's one of my favorite little like, thank you i like that one well here's that's what i can one. say i mean well you traveled you know that up until probably about 10 years ago you couldn't get a decent cocktail um you know outside of like what they're regionally known for so like yeah you could get like a solid negroni in italy but like outside of that you're not really getting a great cocktail i mean i traveled all all over asia and i had to teach the bartender how to make a kamikaze shot like you know and that was that must years, have been a fun it was night 10 years ago oh, it was weird. It was weird there was a lot of weird nights there you know seeing the different drinking styles of people around the world is neat like if i had a dream brand ambassador job it would to be it would be the Chivas brand ambassador in southeast asia because that would be absolutely insane you know people don't really drink Chivas, except for my friend alan um, <laughs> in the united states you don't see it too often it's not like a big brand for us but they're also the sponsoring brand of manchester united and Outside of the United States, Chivas is a huge-blooded scotch. Um, and especially in Southeast Asia, those dudes, you know, Johnny Walker is king, but Chivas is right there, too. You know, Chivas 12 is excellent. Um, here's my, here's my know, question. It, it's, just, it's just really interesting to see. Like, not, not to go too far down that rabbit hole, because yeah. I want to focus on Jefferson's, oh, yep, and I want to focus. That's okay. You just cut that but part No, out. no, 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 no. <laughs> but, but here's the conversation. Is Chivas considered dad's? drink of choice in America and therefore a, a generation wants to say I want Jefferson's because Chivas is what was on the bar for dad or, sure. gran- or granddad yep so our blended scotches um, are blended to I'm trying to think the best way to the best way to put this but it, to me I think blended scotches are meant to be easy drinkers and while all whiskey is meant to be contemplated, you know, sometimes you just want to throw a bunch of ice cubes in a glass and just kind of throw it back and knock it back. So I think that Chivas, Dewars, especially Dewars White Label, those are definitely coming from a generation, you know, they were looking, um, you know, it's lighter in color, it's lighter in body. You know, there's not a crazy overwhelming peat or super complex flavor profiles in there. And I think at the time that's kind of like what people were looking for. And those 
spirits definitely still have a place, but the way that this generation seems to be drinking, they, we like big bowls. Yeah, and I think that's still going that way. Yeah, and, and that's what you're getting right. and from to your things, point, like, with things this, like Jefferson's and bourbon. With and, this, I mean, right. mm-hmm. I have a question because is was the Manhattan cocktail made and then put into a barrel? Or are you just taking barrel aged spirit because you're getting so much? No, it is it is blended. It is made and then put and then blended in a barrel. I, yeah. I have to say something that that is what lingers here. Oh, and the, and this takes oak. you through. You you get the spiciness mm-hmm. of the the whiskey. Mm-hmm. You get the, the 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 cherry the 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 stone fruit flavors that you would want from a Manhattan. Yep. yep. And then what happens is it, it you get some grain flavor to it, mm-hmm. and then that oakiness of the barrel just kind of sits there. Yep. And and that's really why what I'm enjoying out of this cocktail. Yep. This is delicious. And I love it because it's not it's not too sweet. Sometimes people have a tendency to put people hide the whiskey, people hide the bourbon Yep. With with right. with the with, with the, the sugar, yeah, because yeah. they want to kind of round out the edges. But when you have when you have a barrel finished cocktail, the barrel does that for you. You don't need to add that sugar. Component. Great point. You don't need. You're to getting do those that. sugars um, out of the the vanilla is out of the barrel again. Exactly, and then I love the I love that kind of like tannic um, sort of drying effect that you get on the end from the vermouth. And they won't tell us what vermouth they picked. It is a secret. It is a proprietary secret. But they went through years of, of R&D um, back and forth trying to, to get, like, the perfect balance. And I think the best way to describe this is balanced. You get that whiskey nose, that bourbon nose, but that finish is that really gorgeous, velvety vermouth that kind of gives you, like, that little bit of, like, that... That drying effect that also plays really well with the tannins that are coming in from from the uh, second barrel finish. And this is something that you can get for $33.99 in Pennsylvania. It is a Manhattan in a bottle. People drink it neat. Um, we drank it um, with an o- ice cube. over an ice cube. And, I, you know, we didn't even shake it. We literally just poured it in a glass, swirled it around, and... You know, you're welcome to garnish with with a cherry if you have it. But I even get some of those really gorgeous, like, cherry nose already in there. See, when we come um, and visit you, so, the first thing we always get is a cocktail. And you didn't didn't let us down. We got a cocktail this time. I have to say. I am one for consistency. <laughs> you know, we've, we've had, you know, Dawn and I have had a number of ready-to-drink cocktails. And especially in the beginning of COVID when we really wanted to mm-hmm. go out and experience some of these um, distilleries and bars and things. But one of the things I find is that, you know, we've had some of these cocktails where they become either overly... Um, they're too sweet. They're too sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or they're too cocktail-y, so mm-hmm. to speak. So you lose mm-hmm. the characteristic of the spirits that go in there. But this is not that, which is great. Right. This is why I can say, you know, I don't want to always have to have all the ingredients to make a um, to make a, a Manhattan or an old fashioned or right. any you know a Negroni yeah. or I mean, I know how easy they are to create. But guess what? If it's we still, it's still extra if 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 I say, listen, I just want to have a you know, I would love a Manhattan right now. Right. Yeah. Open up. Boop. This is one bottle versus getting two or three. They, I bottles. think I think Jefferson's. You know, this is a grand slam. This is a grand slam. It It really is. Um, You know, it's not always something – it's not always a product that we focus on, um, especially as somebody who works directly with bars and restaurants because, you know, it's a bar and a restaurant. And if you're a bar that doesn't have vermouth – Shame on you. (laughs) 
depends on the bar you're going to. But Maybe. There should be vermouth somewhere in Somewhere. Um, so it's not always something that we necessarily f- uh, focus on typically, but because we've really changed our selling style to be more direct to consumer. Um, and I think Jefferson's has done a really great job of that. Uh, this is a, this is a really neat product that I've been able to explore. Um, you know, even as somebody who likes making cocktails at home, it's just really nice to just be able to pop it open, you know, pour it in a glass and boom, you have a cocktail. I, I can't I, listen. I love and plus you're not having to worry about having glasses and, and, and everything. And making hey, a mess right. and all the ice. And listen, I love entertaining. You know, I love having, you know, a few friends over here and there, but you know, it's always like, and Make us a cocktail. <laughs> well, that's what happens. And I'm like, I love it, and I'll make you one. Right. But then, you yeah. know, yeah. let me get another one. Right. And uh, after after a certain point, so, you know, even I really love having the Manhattan uh, on hand just so that I can sort of, you know, appease appease all my guests. That is certainly a treat, and I'm glad we started with that one. What is... And it's not super sweet, either. That's, like, the best part about it. I like sweet. You do? I do, but, I mean, I like that there's a lot of flavor to this. It is so drinkable, isn't it? No. When you said cherry... I could definitely do you, right? Yes. I know, like maybe that that might be my brain maybe playing no, tricks. No, I taste it. So I have to tell you guys. So I was a little nervous about doing this tasting because I actually had COVID back in October. Okay. And I did lose my sense of smell, taste, and smell. Okay, is it back? I think so. Okay, we'll find out. Let's find out. Okay, let's. This will be a COVID experiment. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it is. So we talked a little bit about this before, but um, we, because we're going to do a full whiskey tasting, I do kind of want to go back a little bit on just some of the things that we know about nosing whiskey and tasting whiskey. So your sense of taste. And the depth of flavor, and trust me, I know for a fact that this is true because I lost my sense of smell and most of my taste. And you get your depths of flavor from your sense of smell. Absolutely. From your olfactory. And your olfactory lives in your frontal lobe, and your frontal lobe also houses your short-term memory. So that's why a lot of times scents bring back nice memories of home or maybe bad memories of a rough night, but, um, that's, that's where, that's where all of that happened. So when I, when I lost my sense of smell, I still had sweet, I still had sour, I still had salty and I still had spicy. So the best way that I can describe it is I lost, so I was eating, uh, I was eating lox on a bagel. So we have your bagel, you have your cream cheese, you have your lox and you know, your veggies. So you can taste texture and I could taste the saltiness of the fish, but any, any of that fishiness, any kind of that oily sort of depth of flavor is what I'm talking about. Not there. It ain't there. It ain't there. And I can tell you that I took a shot of Jameson when I had no taste and it was not pleasant because all you taste is the ethanol. That barrel influence, those grains is what makes whiskey whiskey. It's not just the alcohol in it. So I suggest that next time you take a shot or taste some whiskey, hold your nose 
taste it and see how much you can oh, taste. Oh, yeah. It's... Let it go and then take another sip. Yeah, we've done and that. We've and done it that. it comes flying back yeah. into, and, into and, your and sometimes It is it, unbelievable. It, it does create that new... You, you do see what you miss and then it heightens other things in awareness. So what are we going to start with? So... Since we haven't... Since this will be our experiment for the day. Yes. Okay. So we are going to go down the line. So... And... I'm sorry for your listeners at home. They can't see the difference in color. Well, we'll take a picture. Oh, we And they can find it on oh, the... perfect. Yeah, they'll find oh, it on the website. Perfect. So, we're going to start with the Jefferson's Very Small Batch, which is a four-year-old. Then we're going to go to the Jefferson's, which is... That's the reserve. That is the reserve. Excuse me, the Jefferson's Reserve. That is... Six to eight years old. And then we're going to go to the ocean uh, aged at sea, which is a six to eight year old whiskey with a twist. And we'll get to that. All right. We'll get to the twist. Cool. All right. So we, we, the first time we've had Jefferson's was at, um, we were in Frederick at the Black Hog for barbecue. And I, I saw it that they had it and I hadn't had it. And it quickly became, you know, one of my favorite. We had the Etsy. And if this one has a twist to it, I can't wait to taste the twist. But uh, you you did have, yeah. they had their own. Or yeah. This is. I don't know. Maybe different. Maybe Who knows? Different. I don't want to assume. Because there are there are some. They've done, you know, they've done a weeded and they've done a few different. But this is. And the, and the ocean is probably what Jefferson's is best known for. Yeah. Because I don't really know of anybody else that's really done a, uh, a barrel aged at sea. Okay. So talk about so, the one that we're having now. This is a four-year? This is a four-year. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you because I'm wondering if you're smelling, if you're able to smell. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was terrified. I was like, my career is over if I, if I lose my smell permanently because some people are. So this is, that's, you know, it's a scary thing. So we're nosing our whiskey. We're not sticking our nose in the cup. We're just kind of grazing it right along the top just so that we can start getting some of those those beautiful notes. And, you know, for me, like, I immediately get barrel. I immediately get that gorgeous vanilla. And that's coming from the hemocellulose. That's a protein that lives in the grains, the barrel. And that's really what gives whiskey its color. It should be the only thing that's giving your whiskey color if your spirit leaves the still with a color, you're not doing it right, throw it away, you might poison someone, please don't That would be that. bad. That would be bad. You know, I'm getting, I, I get that, that oakiness, that barrel, the vanillas, the things that I want to smell, the caramels, mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. And for some reason, what's hitting me is this orange sickle. Yeah. Like this vanilla, or like that, that frozen orange sickle you get from, um, I don't want to say, you know, that, well, that Mr. Those, Softy or whatever that guy really was. Interesting, <laughs> like, there's those really interesting citrus notes. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe that's so, the strongness of the vanilla, but that, that orange really or that citrus. Yeah, I mean. Like I can actually taste that like, cold like, frozen orange sickle in my mouth while nosing okay, this. Okay, right. So, so I get like caramelized orange. Um, and I think that's very similar to kind of like what you're saying. But, you know, you're kind of getting that sort of like candied aspect to it. Now, um, the... The base mash bill for Jefferson's, and there is some secrecy behind it, I mentioned before, but it's typically um, 60% corn, 30% rye, 10% malt. So I was think I was doing my research, you know, the other night, and I was kind of thinking about, you know, how do I how do I taste whiskey? And I think that 
one of the things that really helped me to pick out flavors is to, especially when I'm tasting, like when I'm sipping, um, is to kind of think about the different grains and the different flavors that grains bring to spirits. So corn is sweet, rye is earthy and spicy, and then malt is that smoke. And so when you sip through and when you taste, I think it might help people at home who are learning how to nose whiskey to pick apart those different flavors by thinking about the different grains that a spirit's made with. And I think that might really help you to pick up on some of those more nuanced uh, flavor profiles. I do the same thing right now with with the idea of um, in my head saying, all right, do I smell cherry? Do I smell plum? Do I smell peach? Do I smell... So in... In my head, I'm already seeing if I can find that, but not suggesting that it's there. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I so mean, when you talk about the grains, if I can start to smell and bring that nose out of yeah. um, of, of, of the smokiness, of the, of the earthiness, of the sweetness, you yes. can start to identify yeah. those. And I think, um, you know, those fruit notes – I'm going to challenge you, Rich. Those fruit notes are easy. And I think as somebody who tastes spirits all the time and beer all the time, I want you to start looking for more of those savory notes, more of those earthy notes, more of those um, complex flavors like those umami and um, leather, uh, tobacco. Yeah, I, I, I get the, the, the leather, tobacco. I find that more on the on the on the, the palate than I do on the nose. I agree. Like I personally don't, unless it's like a rye, but. Um, if there's rye in the mash bill, I usually don't get rye until the exhale. Like that spice on the end. Um, it might be fun sometime if we could get just a straight. You, it's unusual to see just corn in bourbon because corn it brings that beautiful sweetness, but it's not. It's not particularly complex, and this is where we kind of get into that conversation of blending. And why we blend and why we use different grains. Um, you know, at Manitani, we would take a barrel that had really beautiful sweetness, but it wasn't really that complex. And then we would blend it with, you know, 25% of another barrel that had more of these like neat, earthy, um, silty flavors. And we would throw that in there um, for like that minerality. And then you start creating these really interesting, um, balanced, fun flavor profiles. And that's one side of blending, right? And then we also kind of talked about blending for consistency, um, which people do as well. Um, and that's really like the main part of main part of blending. But, you know, we use these different greens to create more dynamic, more interesting spirits that will, you know, inevitably, you know, make people want to go back for another sip. Um, and Jefferson's um, really does that, but they do it more on their, on their, on the aging side. And we're really going to taste that barrel influence as we go into the reserve, because you, you know, you can see now, um, you know, we're going from, from a light amber to a, uh, I would call that mahogany. Yeah, I would say. You know, um, that's, and it's absolutely stunning. And, um, I will pour you guys a little bit more. Well, I'll pour pour (laughs) Rich a little more. We're okay. No, what I'm just, what I I want you to save a little bit in your cup because I think, especially when you're tasting a line, it's great to compare. All right. So that point. And, and here's something that I'm starting to learn to do. And this is coming out of just experience Mm -hmm. of tasting. Mm Mm-hmm. Tasting a little bit, putting it down, mm-hmm. letting it sit, going back, nosing, tasting. Yeah. Because I have found that recently, 
you know, we'll buy bottles and yeah. I'll open the bottle and I'll take his nose and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm experiencing this. I'll take a taste and it's, I, I, I don't know. And again, I'm not experienced enough to say exactly what happens, but I think I have said, let me let this sit for five minutes. Sure. And it's, it's mm-hmm. so amazing mm-hmm. how all those flavor profiles come back out the same way that they did when we first tried it before. Absolutely. So, um, so don't open a bottle or don't reopen a bottle. And, I, and I've heard conversations just recently with, um, with um, Jane Bowie of Maker's Mark. And I, yeah. and I hope I didn't say that wrong. Um, but, but she was – you know, I, I heard her on a, a tasting with Philadelphia Whiskey Society. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how when the bottle gets – you know, when you're third done the bottle, yeah. how then you just start to get some really amazing character out of the whiskey and, you know, where the air has had a chance to sit there and, and play with the juice and, and such. That's really interesting. I definitely – I've definitely heard that. And I've also – I had people, you know, talk about how there's a misnomer that, unlike wine, that will continue to age in the bottle. Whiskey does not. You know, it's it's bottled and and that's <laughs> that's where it is. However, if I were to, so I have this open bottle of of reserve and it's maybe like an eighth gone. Right. So if I go and I put that away in my closet and I left it there for a year, and then a year later I went and I bought a bottle of the reserve and I tasted the two next to each other, they would be very, very, very different spirits. Well, I mean, to your point, what's in the bottle won't go bad. No. Oh my God. No, absolutely. Where a bottle of wine, if you open a bottle of wine and you go back to it a year later, I don't know what that, I don't know what that's going to be. You can't, no, you don't want to open it. But whiskey, it. But you have a bottle of Blanton's there. I mean, let's face it. It's not open. But. I'm not saying we snoop it, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, you know, Blanton's, you know, they, they change mm-hmm. from, from year to year from, from, so, so that, to your right. point, like that bottle of Jefferson's Reserve, hopefully they're going to get that and hit that every time, but that bottle still may be a little bit different than well, a year later. Well, I get, well, it was more to the point that, that Jane was saying that whiskey aerates and it changes and it actually, once it's open, will lose a little bit of, um, of the ABV, um. Actually. And that may be something that what what happens. I mean, you do lose those every every time you pop the cork off, or every time there's a little bit of air that gets out of there. Maybe you are going to lose that. Here's to what I can say about this this Jefferson's that um, it's it's delicious, and 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 to the point there. I don't know what proof it is, but it doesn't come off as a high proof. But it also doesn't come off as a six as a as a high rye either. No, it, it, no, it doesn't. But what a you lot do of people get, who are like, oh, like a high rye, are right. very pleasantly surprised. Um, this is forty-one and a half percent, so we do ABV. ABV is double the percent. Um, so I'm not great at math. But <laughs> I That's because we've had all this to drink already. <laughs> but I do, I do believe that is eighty-three. Right. So we're looking at eighty-three. Now I would say. For those that would gravitate more towards a, a high proof, you know, this is still something where I think you get a lot of character out of this. Yes. Um, you, you get the earthiness of the rye um, because it's a low um, malt. Um, I don't get a lot of smokiness, but I think what that does is it really smooths out the finish of this. I think the malt comes in and it just it, – it, oh, it's, yeah. it's just like if you're coasting to a stop. That's what the malt does here. Just yep. a nice yep. little gentle yep. right in the yep. home plate we're in. Yep, and and you know, especially you know, all these grains just say, just play so beautifully together that 
you know, you get that sweetness, and then as it travels over your palate, you get like a little bit of that spice, and then you, and you get like a nice little little smoke straight on the end. Um, so we are now shifting our focus to the reserve, um, and this is forty five point one percent. So this. So we're losing some of the angel share. We are, we are. But so we're hence. getting a lot of depth and character. I mean, I, oh look, I put God. this to my, the difference between, you know, here's the nose here. On this one, I get a lot of the corn. I get a lot of the same, you know, notes. But, man, this starts to, the, the, the barrel just, just like kind of walks up to your nose and says, here, smell me. This is why I love tasting a line and going through the line because especially when you're learning to nose and taste whiskey, it's a lot easier to say how two things are different than to just pick out flavor notes on their own. And it's different to, you know, like what we were doing the last time I was here because we tasted two totally different products. Um, but now we are tasting the same liquid. And now I feel like we can really appreciate what that barrel aging process really means to the whiskey. You know, we have like another two years in here. We have a little bit of a higher proof. So we're going to see a difference in the way that it feels in the mouth um, because we identify higher alcohol content through more of a round, more viscous flavor, more glycerin is what they call it. Um, but uh, it's it's a little bit more velvety. You'll, you'll see like a very different feeling um in the mouth um you know color you know completely different colors much darker you know two more years in the barrel you know getting more of that surface area of the liquid um onto the staves now jefferson's has done some really really neat experimental um projects with barrels where they've taken five different kinds of wood and put the same liquid into five different kinds of wood just to see you know what happens um, you know, Trey even put whiskey in a uh, hot sauce barrel, in a hot sauce barrel that came out horribly, but that's okay because we're experimenting, you know, one But of I know the hot sauce people would like the barrel to make hot sauce with because people were doing that. Exactly. Yeah. But it turned but out no, way don't, too yeah. spicy because the seeds got stuck in the staves okay. and it just didn't end up working out, but one of the reasons that they chose the name Jefferson's is going off of Thomas Jefferson, who was a scientist. He was an explorer. He liked to ask questions and find answers, and not all experiments end up working out, and that's okay, but it's this kind of human nature to to want to, to, want to discover and explore. Yeah, but what happens if they said, ah, ah, you know, hot sauce barrel, why would we want to try that? It'll never work. But what happens, what happens if it, it worked? What, what happens, happens when, when it works? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, so another thing that Jefferson's likes to do is they like to uh, put grooves in the barrels. So you're getting twice as much surface area for the liquid to touch um, so that you're getting even more oak influence. Now, there's the jury is out on whether a whiskey can be over oaked i think that they can sometimes they're that's what we were talking about you know age versus maturity you know i've had 20 year old bourbons that are just not as good as the 12 year happy (laughs) Um, oh but you're paying for status (laughs) right exactly but um there you know you can over oak that's definitely possible look i could put too much makeup on i mean there is a point where you have to stop and say rich i don't think you could ever put too much well 
you know. But there is a point where you stop and say, you know what? We can't. You just can't. You got to stop. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to that point, um, with with what Jefferson's is doing, I love the experimentation. Do they cut the grooves before they char, or do they cut the grooves after they char? Depends. Okay, see here, but the, but then the, that's that's the experimental side, right? Exactly. Because you're taking and away some of that char, or you're adding opportunity for that exactly, char exactly. to get into that that, that juice. Uh, because that char acts as a filtration, you know, same as your Brita water filter. That's pushing and pulling the liquid in and out of the staves, and that's filtering the liquid. So, I believe in the specific case that I'm thinking of, they did a flash char. After they after they dug the grooves in, and and then we talk about toasting, and then all toasting these different seasoning. things. I mean, even but, after so Trey has has even taken barrels that have been seasoned by the cooperage, and then seasoned them himself for another eighteen months after that. I mean, you're talking about intent. You are talking about patience um, to be able to produce products that are spectacular. You really need to to take some time. Like I'm, you know, I'm going to be the first person to tell you that I was a little trepidatious about Jefferson's because they source their spirits. But once I actually started to do my research and to look into it and to see that okay, so they are distilling their spirits, and it is going to be part of what you're drinking. They also have people that have been working as distillers for 20, 30 years that are taking their recipe and creating incredible products. And then they're taking it one step further by taking the time to really examine their barrels and to make sure that the liquid that's going into the barrels is going to be phenomenal because you're getting your flavor from the barrel. Well, so, while you've been introducing this, here's what I can say. Back, you know, side to side, um, my nose and what I get. The first thing I got was I get more melon out of this, more cantaloupe. Okay. Um, I got a, a tremendous more um, cinnamon and clove and, okay. and baking spice on the mm-hmm. nose. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's more apparent. And, you know, then I can go back and I can really get what where I think – the first one that we poured, the Jeffersons, this really comes off just to be a lot more sweeter in the nose. A lot of that not, corn forward. Right. And just not as complex. Right. But this. It's not as thought provoking. And that's fine. Because but, but, I'm going to But we can have a. Look, look what we're doing now. We're having a great conversation we're with, with them it. side by side. So they are thought provoking. I mean, you talk about. Look, here's the brand. It's Jefferson's. What's the first thing you think about when you say Jefferson's? Thomas Jefferson. What's the first thing you see? <laughs> right. You see, you see either the vision of you know Jefferson, to- you know, toiling around Monticello, um, and and and, and all the I things think he about did. When I drink this whiskey, right? Or or, or, or the crafting, or, or sitting around and imagine that Thomas Jefferson, while you know crafting the Declaration of Independence, you know, had something very similar to this. You know, he had the quill, he had the ink, he had the parchment, and he had a nice bourbon like this just to use as reflection. That's what this is. Absolutely. And so many of our founding fathers actually had their own stills um, because so many of them were were farmers. Well, Steve Um, Bayshore is next. And we're going – we we interviewed Mount Vernon's. Okay, cool. So we've had that experience. Oh, awesome. And, you know, you talk about – look, George Washington had his own mill. Mm-hmm. Now, that's also, to your point, a lot of these gentlemen farmers and a lot of these, um, you know, like Jefferson and those those of that ilk had their own mills. They had their own, you know, grain. They had their own way of getting something and sourcing. Exactly. And somebody said to George Washington, 
you know, you can make money from this. Yeah. And Washington said, okay, let's You're do that. Let's right. fire, like build the still, fire it up. Let's get going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I'm sure. You can make a lot of money from taxing people. <laughs> and then you had the, you know, the whiskey rebellion um, that actually took place in Pennsylvania that a lot of people don't know. Yes. Um, but the whiskey rebellion took place in Pennsylvania. And that was because George Washington decided to tax small distilleries and people that were distributing their spirits, um, which was mostly rye. To be able to pay back France for the Revolutionary War efforts. And that's where the history of the Whiskey Rebellion comes from. And then that's why a lot of people ended up moving their stills down to Kentucky, which is where we now have our bourbon trail. And that's where we have a huge you know, bourbon industry. Um, but that's a big part of why people end up, ended up migrating because Kentucky advertised that they weren't going to have the same kind of taxes and, and rules as, as Pennsylvania and some of like the northern colonies. And that's another reason why we use corn. We're getting like, this is, so if anybody tuned in and they didn't know they were going to get a history lesson here or, uh, you know, it's, we were just not going to do, you know, we're not going to do the tasting, we're going to do the history. But that's so cool right. because it touches on so many different parts of our lives and our culture and it explains so many things that we've always kind of known we don't really think about on Well, we had to learn. Look, yeah. let's face it. I mean, when we were in history, nobody taught us about the the specific values and history historical um, events that really shape where we are today in a matter of look, look, we're talking bourbon here, but we talked about, you know, Jefferson and the Whiskey Rebellion and and how it shaped even what we do today. And, you know, even what you brought up in the in previously about, you know, tasting and nosing notes. I mean, What's coming out of this right now for me is I get the tobacco, I get the leather. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that it's that pleasant you know mouthfeel that if I had just finished with a cigar, oh, this that's that sits so there. phenomenal with a cigar. That sits there. Um, and one of the reasons I say that is because I actually get this really beautiful mint. Yes. But it is more of like the herb mint as opposed to the uh, mouthwash mint. Or no, it's a spearmint. Mint. Spearmint. But yeah. like, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting that, that green, that fresh, uh, that herby, gorgeous mint. I, I mean, it's almost like having a mint julep. And I would glass. say I almost get a little a little basil out of that. Absolutely. Yeah, in, there's in that, in that flavor. That, that greenery um, comes through so beautifully. And so, you know, we have your mixing whiskeys and you have your sipping whiskeys. This is a sipper. The very small batch, you can do whatever you want. You're welcome to sip it. Is that the and one that's next? That, the, the very small batch is what we just... Oh, I'm sorry. There you first. go. But and now- I, I would suggest putting that in a cocktail in your Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Look, but in you're your, right. In your, in your old-fashioned. But, but this here... This is a sipper. This is something to talk about. This is this is really just it's it's special. Um, you you taste the craftsmanship, you know, just from like all all the layers. And you know, we're also we're also talking about something that's ninety proof here, so it is higher proof. And I think it drinks so easily. Um, this is something that <laughs> that I have to be careful with because I'll end up having you know. Maybe one too many, and I'll be stuck on the couch. I'm like, Why am I still here? How did we get here? How did we get and, here? And it's because it is so. It, it sneaks up on you. It is so. This one can sneak up on you, but it's still not. You know, we're not talking cast strength gorgeous. over. You know, no. we're not talking 115 proof. Mm-mm. What's the next one we're going to try? We 
are going to try the whiskey that Jefferson's is probably best known for and really takes experimentation to the next level. And that is the Jefferson's Ocean. So I've never heard of any other whiskey that's done this before. Now, so talk about so what they do. What they do is... Because it's not like Ocean's Eleven. No. I, I, I pictured George Clooney and uh, Brad Pitt and uh, or, or the old Rat Pack. I, I pictured coming? Sinatra they be here? And, 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 and Sammy Davis. I mean, this would... To me, this is... If, if, if I'm like that, this is what they're drinking. This? Yes. Or, oh, yes. Ocean's Eleven. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. This I'm is, so excited bec- to try this one. <laughs> you should be. It is... It, it's it's cool. It's, yeah, this is Dean and Sammy and and Frank. That whole ocean thing for me. Oh, I I love it actually. That's great. So, so so talk about what they do. So they will take barrels that would have normally been Jefferson's very small batch or the reserve, and they literally put it on a boat. They came up with the idea. When uh, they went down to the Keys, Trey went down to the Keys with some friends, and they were out doing some fishing and hanging out on the boat, and Trey noticed that when the whiskey was on the boat... Oh, yeah, it's going to slosh it around. sloshes around, exactly. Did he and use so, that same... Was it... Are we sharing the same vernacular? Slosh? Yes. <laughs> it's funny that you literally took the words right out of my mouth. So, that would happen in a barrel as well. So what that sloshing ends up doing is it creates its own current inside the barrel that wouldn't normally be there if it's just sitting. It's just resting. It's just doing nothing but moving in and out of the woods. That's all it's doing. Exactly. So as these barrels travel on this um so it's it's called osearch and uh it's it's a friend of trey's who owns a uh, great white shark research vessel that travels around the world and tracks great white sharks and they will put beacons on the great white sharks who as they swim it sends down waves that help map the bottom of the ocean just, I, I, I had no idea so much went into this this bourbon. We haven't even started talking about the whiskey yet. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So, so you're so, so now you're 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 out there on the boat. Mm-hmm. You know you're so you're taking a whiskey it. thief. You're pulling stuff out. You're tagging great whites and yep. yeah yeah yeah. So they so that's where the idea came from. Just kind of a fishing trip and you know thinking like this might be really neat. So they took five barrels and they put it on a ship. That was going on about a three and a half year voyage. And now this is whiskey that has previously been aged. And then we're adding it onto the boat. Now, okay? are, are, and then here's having a, are, an aging process. Here's a bunch of boat. questions. Is right, it the go. same barrels they've started in or yes. they change barrels? Nope. Same barrels. Um, the next question is, is these are all blended. So you're, you're mm-hmm. dealing. So if they go out on that vessel mm-hmm. and those five barrels are going to get blended, blended together. together. Yes. Okay. So this is something that. Year to year mm-hmm. could also – I mean, if, if that ship, that, that ocean-going vessel, it's warmer of a climate, this could change well, a little bit or colder. I don't it, know. Well, it, so it depends. Um, you know, it depends on the voyage, which is why every bottle is going to be – or excuse me, every batch and every voyage is going to be a little bit different. So on some voyages, the ship will cross the equator six times. 
He'll be all the way up by the North Sea and then all the way down by the Caribbean or the Strait of Gibraltar or the Mediterranean. It really just, it depends. So what I love about that is you're getting different climates. So you have this constant agitation of the sloshing. So you have the rocking from the ocean and then you have the fluctuating temperatures. So that's causing the wood to expand and contract in a different way than you would have in Louisville. So you're getting this spirit that's been inside of the barrel and pushed out of the barrel many more times than a normal aging process would. You're also drinking in or absorbing in the that brackish, salty ocean air. And you get that. This, See, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I was sipping this, and I don't want to. I don't want to think that the, you're influencing my palate because of the of the richness of the story as to what happens. But I almost feel like I'm sipping this, and I'm tasting the ocean air, and I'm tasting the 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 the, the saltiness that just kind of lands on my lips after a while. I, and I think that's like almost a power of suggestion, and and I don't know if it it's is. there or not. Like, so, I can hear the seagulls flying around after I throw chum in the water. So, all right. Taste the reserve. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go, go back yeah, and I'm, forth. I'm going back and forth. Because. But, but to me, when you look at the, the first one we tried and the reserve, this is almost like the best of both worlds coming together and then just creating. This is like a mad science project. Absolutely. That works. Um, yeah. This works. Exactly. Well, so you smell the reserve and the reserve immediately on the nose, like I get much more of a sweetness where with the ocean, I'm getting more of those scotchy island notes. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what that's so unique about I, it's, it's, it's just, it's more now. savory. Um, if you're more of a single malt person, you're probably going to gravitate more toward, toward the ocean. Um, because I think you're getting some more of those you know, seagrass, vegetative notes, and and that that saltiness. Um, that but you do get a lot of saltiness bit. on this one. Uh, on the ocean. On the ocean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what the characteristic of that saltiness is. Um, well, I think it's kind of what we were sort of talking about before, where it's more of like those earthy, more minerally notes that really changes the way that the spirit tastes um, in your mouth. Right. Like, I even go back. Like, it's what are you the saying, same mash bill. Okay, it's the same across the board. A little bit of a spice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I go back to this, the the reserve that we did, and this now almost has a nose of caramel corn. They're mm-hmm. my two favorites. Mm-hmm. That now, that and now the change. And the sea. Oh, well, you have yeah. good taste. <laughs> um, so I'm going to save this and blend them all together when we're done. <laughs> right? Why not? <laughs> um, you know, like I get, I get like an anise. Um, kind of that like licorice sort of flavor as well. Um I get like cardamom and some of those in the ocean. Yeah. I get some like that cardamom and um, some of that like, yeah, like that star anise and like cinnamon. Yeah. If you go more of the idea that you're drinking like something more of like with with an Indian food, Mm -hmm. that's where I think you're pulling out those flavors. I think so. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean. There's also a lot more dryness to this. Oh, yeah. That that comes out at the end. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about where the other one just kind of slides it in. Mm-hmm. This one, that that dryness is going to sit. 
right there for you. And then, but I think that kind of like makes you like salivate on the sides of your mouth, and then that kind of makes you like want to go back for. for oh, more for more and more and more. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's really amazing. You know, I kind of I wanted to taste this in real time. I you know I've I've tasted through all of them, but not to sort of this. this now, what's level. the proof on this? This is 45. Okay, so this is 90, 90 proof, 45. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the things I did was just I took a little bit of the water that we had left over oh, sure, from the yeah. ice water yeah, and just added just, to this because mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to see what comes out of that yeah, afterwards. absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's... Because that does proof it down, but you get right away, you get, again, that oakiness really just still packs a punch. It's oh, still there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I it's mean, definitely still there. You know, talking talk about you know a way to get as much barrel influence and in, as as possible. And I think some of that drying might come from some of those tannins from the wood as well. But you know, this is why I love this is why I love whiskey. Like you know, tasting the reserve and the ocean right next to each other because you have the exact same liquid, and this batch of ocean could have become part of a, of a bottle of reserve, but. They are two completely independent spirits and products. When you talk about right, when you talk about that, that's exactly what that is so cool in my mind. Like a lot of you know, you'll you'll get distilleries where you'll do do like a four year, a five year, Mm -hmm. a seven year, a twelve year, sure. And and all right, you're going to get a little bit difference, but Mm -hmm. these are almost like drinking three different bourbons, hands down. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting that you say that because like I I will taste. It's it's hard to identify different flavor profiles of the same liquid when you are not tasting them next to each other. And, like, that's why I always tell people who are like, wow, like, you can really taste all of that and you can really tell the difference. Yeah, I can because, I, you know, I sit down with two different spirits next to each other and taste them. And everyone can do that. We usually don't. But now, because you're at home and you're hanging out and maybe you're not going out and, you know, spending $100, you know, on a few drinks and you have the budget to be able to buy two really nice whiskeys. Or four four bottles of Jefferson's. You start with your Manhattan, you entertain, and then you sit around like we are and you just try these individually and talk about them. For $200. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you're gonna like if when you buy these bottle and taste individually, you could spend thousands of dollars. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But right. now that right, but now that we're at home, you know, challenge yourself to pick up two of you know whether it's the Glenlivet twelve and the Glenlivet fourteen and the fifteen. You know, pick up a line of spirits and taste through them, and that is really going to be how you are going to take your your tastes and your flavor notes to the next level. Why are you laughing? <laughs> okay. So fun? I left I left I left a little bit of each one in the glass. Uh-huh. And I mixed them together okay. and blended He's them. Doing alchemy. Yes. I love it. I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll just start making bottles of this and <laughs> market it as uh, Rich's Jefferson's. Oh my god, do it. And Maybe we can get This you. is amazing. Why don't we get you your own? I will <laughs> sell you your own barrel and we can blend. Well, that was one of the questions I had with this one. with this ocean. Mm-hmm. Um and or with Jefferson's. Are they looking to do um, a single barrel release or do they do one Uh, now and it's just not something we talked about? Yeah. So upcoming. I did the same thing. It's really good. Oh my God. Is that good? good? Should I do it too? Try it. Yeah. Everybody do it. Why not? not? It's 12. It's 1230. Okay. We're good. You know, I was going to say, I'm really glad that you guys came a little bit on the earlier side because 
there is no better time to do a tasting than in the morning. And I do it on an empty stomach before I've eaten anything because that is really the best way to have like your, like a nice pure palate. Um, so you guys are getting the, the full experience. The full experience. Mm-hmm. The full Jefferson's Emily experience. Hey, man. <laughs> Very few people are getting that these days. No. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I hope you, I hope you consider yourself lucky. I am so honored to be back. I, I really, I really love doing this and, you know, I, I don't get the opportunity to talk about whiskey the way I usually do. Um, well, you are a recurring guest. So, so I, I and, love and it. With, no, I love with, it. With, so with Southern Glazer's so. um, portfolio, there's so much to try. I mean, look, um, the, um, the the cold brew Jameson's that we did, I mean, that you know, that's just delicious. Now we yes. have some. We try yep. it. We enjoy yep. it. Um, I mean, this is what you're doing. You're introducing this to you know the marketplace where maybe somebody might not be aware. I mean, they, they, they probably know about the ocean. But, you know, yep. the reserve and the other mm-hmm. bottles, you know, hopefully people listen to this and say, you know what? I'm going to go out and grab a bottle of that. Or well, I'm going to go out and – Grab all three and mix them together. <laughs> grab all four. Right? Yeah, no. No, I, so what did you think about mixing them? Oh, you haven't tried it yet. Oh, no, I haven't yet. <laughs> maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I mean – And you might have different proportions than we did. Exactly. Based on what so, you So, based on – it's you know, it's so interesting. After mixing them all – I get the ocean that shines through it. Did you guys get yes. that same experience yes. that you get the ocean? Like you almost get more of a salty. Yes. More of a. Uh, but that, it's that, like chocolate that, covered pretzel. I get the chocolate. I don't say pretzel, although you had some out here. We didn't just do the pretzel. If you wanted to cleanse your cleanse palate, palate just in case. There was no palate cleansing. Okay, so I, I don't want to miss this, but are they going to be doing a single barrel release or do they do a single barrel release? Yes, they do. They've done single barrel releases before. And now that uh, 2020 has come to a close uh, for the new year, they are coming out with a single barrel release that's going to be 100 proof. Um, and that's going to be priced at $55 and it's going to be available nationwide. Look, I don't want to tell them that they're underpricing their spirits, but seriously, for what they're offering and the quality of their spirits, this is definitely something that you, you know, having this on a bar and being able to share this with everybody, this is so inexpensive. For for great quality spirits, and that's one of the things that really helps about being able to source your whiskey and collaborating with what you are making in house, and then and then being able to source it as well, because you have these you have these um, you know large distilleries that are that are cranking out your recipe with with great um, with great results, uh, and then you're able to make more, and you're able to bring a great product to more people. And this is the single barrel release is going to be nationwide. You can get the Manhattan. You can get the Jeffersons, the Reserve, the Ocean at, at any at, state store. At any state store in Pennsylvania, uh, the very small batch. In Jersey, in Delaware, is, and yep, nationwide. I mean, yep. Jefferson's is nationwide. Mm-hmm. You Jefferson's, can get it anywhere. Yep, anywhere. Because um, we're now listened to in 38 countries and 50 states. <laughs> oh, and, my God. Look yeah, at I us. know. Look, look at you guys. I know. It's um, crazy. My, but, not just my mom, who doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Your mom doesn't? She does not listen to the podcast, yeah. My par- I So when I had my episode come out, and I was, like, really excited about it, and I told my parents, and... You know, they both they both went on and listened, and I said, "So, like, what did you think? Like, what did you think about that part?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't think I remember that part." <laughs> and I said, "You didn't listen to the whole thing." She's like, "Well, it was a little long." <laughs> All right. So, for those, I mean, next time maybe we'll do little snippets with Emily versus 
because there's so much information. Look, I, I think you bring, and I'm and I'm hoping that people listen to the end because I think you bring this energy and this knowledge and this passion for for bourbon and whiskey and the spirits that. You teach us stuff. I learn stuff when I sit down and oh, Dawn okay. and I will talk about it and say, oh, wow, good. I didn't know so that. Good. I mean, good. you know, this is a treat for us. And, and, and that's why I said I, when I reached out to you, you know, what can we talk about, you know, to, to have you back on the podcast? Because I think you bring, um, you know, you, so much value to what you teach people and information. Um, I don't want to let that go by too far, you know, where we don't have you back on the podcast. So with that being said, what, what, you know, what's next for where things are going? I mean, I, we have Jefferson's. Is there anything we haven't talked about with Jefferson's that we want to add on the podcast? I don't think so. I think that what I'd really like people to take away from the episode today would probably be to embrace the Jefferson's approach to whiskey. And by that, I mean experiment. Keep trying. Even when things are not perfect, even when things don't necessarily work out the way that you thought they would, please keep tasting. Please keep trying. Now is the time to do that. We've slowed down. We've been taking a little bit more time at home. Use this time to appreciate your spirits, to figure out what you like and what you don't like, what works for you, what doesn't, now is the time. You point, you bring it, look, now I think what's going to happen is, and, and, and to your point, and this is something that I think is really important, that we've had a lot of time at home. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of time, as you pointed out, people buying tequila bottles or people taking time to buy a $90, $100, whatever bottle value that they would buy where they would you know, say, maybe I'll pass that. But they know they're going to have a lot of time to drink this at home. But now people are going to turn around and they're going to walk into that bar and they're going to say, you know what? I've been drinking that Jefferson's Reserve mm-hmm. at home, and I really like to have that with this meal. Yeah, Do you have spectac- that? Right. It's spectacular. Or like, I'm here with one of my friends. I've had that before. Right. You know, people like to feel confident and experienced when they're at a bar, and they like to be able to look at the back bar and be able to, be able to say, I've had that, and I've had that, and I've had that. Um, but there's no better way to go into a bar actually like having some knowledge and like having some experience and you know once you've tasted through the jefferson's line the sky is the limit and then you can continue to taste and continue to expand your palate and to be able to try some of these other like small beautiful distilleries because you know we've really seen where there was a downturn in bourbon and there was only eight distilleries. We have now down in down in um, in the Bourbon Trail. There's over a hundred. So, and the same thing is going to happen with you know there might be a downturn in you know the bar and restaurant industry right now, but there is going to be a beautiful renaissance when things are are open again and and when we can when we can have that bar experience as as we are so used to so you know let's not strive for a normalcy let's strive for better let's go back to bars and restaurants as more educated consumers and as better patrons so that we can have an even better experience than we did before let's not strive for normalcy let's strive for better emily later southern glazer Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your knowledge. Thank you so much for sharing Jefferson's with us today. And we look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Thanks, Rich. I love being here. You guys are the best. Thank you.